Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. When my family moved from Dominican Republic to Keene, Texas, I was in the fifth grade. Starting out as a new student in a fifth grade classroom is not an easy thing. I began to look around the classroom and try to figure out how am I going to fit in here? Is there anything in which I might stand out? To get attention, to have a sense of identity. I thought maybe it will be in running. My dad was a jogger back when jogging wasn't cool. So we grew up running and doing a lot of physical activity. So maybe that will be it. I remember the first PE class when we had a race. Teacher lined us up. Here was the starting line. Are you market set? Go. And we all took off. David, they had told me, was the fastest kid in the class. So I watched him as I ran. I watched his elbows and heels as he disappeared into the horizon. (laughs) Not that bad. But he clearly beat me. So I thought, well, this is not it. Well, maybe it will be in football. I hadn't played organized football, but Dad, again, very active physically. He had taught us to pass and to catch and to kick and to punt and all those things. So I thought, okay, I've got a pretty good pass. And then I saw Craig jog out onto the field and take over as a quarterback, and those tight spirals he threw on target, I thought, this isn't it either. Well, maybe it will be in music. Every kid was required to take some kind of music, so I started taking trombone lessons. And if you were taking music lessons, you had to be in the elementary school band. That must have been quite the sound. So Robbie was really good at trombone, I discovered, and Robbie had the first year. So I didn't get first year or fifth or sixth. I had the fee, and the teacher wanted to say, you know, why don't you go and play in that room over there? I said, this is not it either. Okay, so where am I going to make my mark? Ah, studies. That's what I'll do. I'll excel at my studies. Again, Dad, a voracious reader, grew us up with a group, we grew up with a passion to read and to learn. And then there was Karen, front row Karen, always listening Karen, always taking notes Karen, and I realized this isn't it either. So where is it going to be? In a fifth grade classroom... It's easy to feel overwhelmed by what everybody else has, so many other gifts, and it leaves you feeling, well, maybe like it feels to sit in a large congregation and look around and see all the other gifted people. Because the truth is, there are some times when you look at a gift and you say, wow. I don't know where that came from, but that is a gift. That is the way, in fact, J.R.R. Tolkien described his gift for writing. 
Tolkien was a committed Christ follower, and through his pen, he wanted people to wrestle with big issues, issues of light and dark and right and wrong and God and humanity, wrestle with those kinds of issues. And so he put pen to paper and began to write, wrote The Hobbit, wrote The Lord of the Rings. He would later describe his ability to write as a supreme gift. Where did it come from? I want you to listen to Tolkien's words as he described what he was doing one day as he was grading papers. He says, I was doing the dull work of correcting exam papers when I came up on a blank page someone had turned in. A boon to all exam makers. You don't have to grade this page. I turned it over and wrote on the back, in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. That sentence would become the first line for the hobbit. He says, I'd never even heard of a hobbit or used the word before. Later on, he would say, I have long ceased to invent my stories. I wait till I seem to know what really happened or till it writes itself. And then in a personal letter to a friend, he says, the other power, he was referring to God, the other power then took over the writer of the story in capital letters, by which I do not mean myself, that one ever-present person who is never absent. That's how Tolkien described his gift. And there are gifts just like that. When we experience them, we are left praising God. Did you praise God this morning during the music? Did you listen to the Lord's Prayer, to how great thou art, and have tears come because of its beauty? Somewhere in the heart of God, that gift originates and is bestowed. And then we sit in a congregation surrounded by gifted people and it feels like a fifth grade classroom. Where do I fit in? Is there anything I can contribute or do? So we've been thinking, talking, reading about spiritual gifts. Our first two weeks, we've seen that Paul says that every one of us has a special ability, a spiritual gift given to us by God. And we've seen that Paul says in order for the body to grow to maturity, we have to put those gifts to use. We come back for a third time today. Today, we're going to do something just a little bit different. We're going to read three passages Three passages in the New Testament, all from the pen of Paul. To those three, we'll actually add one other verse, but our main focus will be on Paul. As we read these passages, our interest in reading them is going to be the list, the list of gifts he gives in each passage. There are many gifts given to the church, and here he will start to list, because we might have been asking by this point, what exactly are the gifts? What are they? Do I have one? So we're going to read the lists. Now, two or three things before we read the list. First, each list will have unique gifts to that list. And second, each list will have some crossover with the other lists. And third, these are not the only naming of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. There are other passages as well, but these are the most robust. So let's look at the lists. We start in Romans chapter 12. 
the place where Paul, in writing to his Roman friends, is telling them, if you have a gift, a gift that God has placed within you, use it to the best of your ability with all your heart and passion. So notice how he says it, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. He gives a list of gifts, but he also adds to that, when you put these gifts to use, put your heart into it. Do it with will and desire. That's the first list. And so we have a good list with which to begin. We turn to the second list, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In this context, Paul is writing to a very gifted church. A bit arrogant, they'll have to admit, but a gifted church nonetheless. And he's going to talk about the body of Christ and how it functions, but he begins with, with gifts, here's some gifts, and then afterwards he comes back to it again and adds some more gifts to the list. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we start with verse 7. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. So we add to our list. There are some that will slip to the side because they're duplicates, but our list grows. And then Paul talks about the functioning of the body of Christ, like a human body, the church. And then at the end, he comes back to and identifies gifts again. Same chapter, this time in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. And then he goes off on a rhetorical rant, asking questions, the intended answer of which to each is no. So here's what he says. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? And the answer is no, 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 no. No, we don't all do the same thing. And then he ends up by saying, nevertheless, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. So what is this, Paul? Is this a fifth grade classroom? You've just listed all of these gifts, and now at the very end, your tagline is, now, now desire the greater gifts, the best gifts. Paul, what's up with that? Well, remember what comes immediately following this. Immediately following this come words that we are so familiar with that all we have to do is name the chapter and we know it, 1 Corinthians 13. 
What's greater? Well, remember how that chapter ends. Now abide faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Desire the greater gifts. He goes into that first passage, that first paragraph of the chapter. says you can have every kind of gift in the world, but if it is not an expression of love, you're just noise. So our list grows as does our focus on the spirit of using the gifts, the spirit of love in which they must be used. Our third list. Now we come to Ephesians 4. We looked at it last week. We noted that the purpose is to grow the body to maturity in Christ. We come back this time just to fill out our list of gifts. Ephesians chapter 4 we will start with verse 11. Paul says, so, in, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So now he adds some more. Many of these overlap. But some are unique. In fact, if we take only the unique gifts from these three lists, we have 20 gifts that Christ has bestowed on the church. If we then take spiritual gifts that are named elsewhere in the New Testament, the list swells to maybe almost 30. So 28, 27, 29 identified named spiritual gifts. Is that all there are? Do we have to find the gift we have in one of those lists? Or are there more gifts? Gifts like we have heard in this morning's service. One last text. This one just one verse long from the book of James. It's a text I love. He's not speaking in this context about spiritual gifts, but the principle applies. Notice what he says, James 1.17, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good and every perfect gift. The fact that the lifts lists vary and are different, including both unique and overlap, drives biblical scholars to say we can almost be certain that these are shining examples of the gifts that God gives to his church, but only examples. There are more as well, so that if you experience a gift by which you can serve the body of Christ, that comes from the Father of heavenly lights who gives us every good and perfect gift. Now the question, what does that mean? How do we make sense of all of that? Just lists. Well, first of all, our last week of the series, our fifth sermon, that day we will give you an opportunity to do spiritual gifts inventory so that you can say, okay, this is probably where I fall. But there's something for today. I want to suggest, drawing from a wider range of writers and, and 
New Testament people, that maybe the gifts, the list we have just read, could fit under four different headings, four different categories of gifts. The first category would be what I might call gifts of service. Gifts of service. And beneath that heading, gifts of service, we could list a number of different gifts from the list we have just read. Gifts of service are people who in their heart want to do everything they can to build up the body of Christ, to care for the body of Christ, to give to it, to extend mercy to others. We saw in the video today Helen Juman's ministry to others, member of our community. A few months ago, we were going through a tough time, and what did we find on our porch? But soup and bread, gifts from Helen's kitchen. We love the times to open the door, and there's citrus from the gar garden in the yard of Marion Wagner. We'll find other ones from different people scattered throughout this congregation, people who just have a desire, a heart to serve, to minister, to give, and it happens among the members of the body of Christ in an ongoing way. People wanting to give, to share. This church is filled with people with these kinds of service gifts. If you were to take a window of time, take a month, February or August or December, and say, okay, how many servants, people with gifts in this area, at the Loma Linda University Church, does it take to carry on all the different ministries that happen at that point in time? Do you know that the answer is hundreds? If you start looking at the children's Sabbath schools and the music ministry and the media ministry and the outreach ministry and the list just goes on, there are people with service gifts all over this congregation. This church could not function without them. Most of them never are on the platform. When you walk past them, you wouldn't know they were one of the ones who helped make it possible. I could choose from dozens of examples. Let me give you just one. I'm an early riser. Usually on Sabbath mornings, I do study and going over the sermon one last time at home. A few weeks ago, I decided I'll, I'll go into the church. So I got here. It was very early. It was dark. No one was around. I was in my office when I heard the door to our office complex open. And in walked... David Christensen. I'm going to venture to guess that most of you would not recognize David if you saw him. He was there 6, 6, 10 in the morning. He was here to set up the audio necessities so that you can hear and I don't have to scream. <laughs> he would be here till 1, 1 145. Never noticed, often not known, but essential. A few minutes later, Art Kretz came in. Art Kretz to begin to manage the production. And then they were followed by others. If I moved it a week later, it would be a different crew. A week later, a different crew. Servants all over our church who make possible the ministry that we carry on. Anita and I often are among the last, if not the last, to leave this sanctuary after third service. 
hanging around, relishing conversations with you, touching base. By the time we leave, 130, 145, 2, 2.10, it depends on Sabbath. Often everybody is gone. Well, not everybody. Most everybody is gone often. But you know who I'll see? I'll see deacons moving up and down the pews, cleaning up, getting things ready, locking up, showing their gifts of service. Get here early in the morning, and I see uh, volunteers out pulling out the golf carts, getting ready, so that many of you who would have some challenge getting here from a parking lot that's far away are brought here in style. They're serving. Spoke with one of our young adults just this morning. I said, thank you. She said, I love doing it. That's a heart of service. So out of the list we have, that's one category, gifts of service. Your gift might be there. A second category, gifts of instruction. Gifts of instruction. And again, there are a number that would fall under this heading. These are gifts where people have an ability to teach and to share, to open Scripture, to help us understand what the Word says, to understand something about the mind and the will of God for our lives. I venture to guess that most, if not all of us, would not be here today if we had not had some people with these gifts in our own lives. Without them, we would not be here. For me, it started with two people named Mom and Dad. At Mom's knee, reading the Bible stories, beginning to understand the story of God's people. And Dad, preaching, beginning to take that in, and unknowingly at the time, beginning to put my feet in his footprints. But it continued with others. And your life has as well. I'll mention one other name, one that you know well. I've mentioned him before. He was my favorite, well, one of my favorite teachers. I can't say my favorite. There were a number on the same level. One of my favorite teachers at seminary. His name was Ivan Blazin. Dr. Blazin would later come to Loma Linda, and I would be a colleague of his at the School of Religion. When he came, I said, Dr. Blazin, I'm so excited to, to be here, to be able to work together. He said, call me Ivan. I was like, what? It's like calling God by his first name. I, I can't call you Ivan. He said, no, call me Ivan. It took me a long time to get to the place where I could call him Ivan. I remember sitting in Dr. Blazin's class at seminary. He was a rigorous teacher. He had strong and healthy and high expectations. But it was more than scholarship. I remember him opening Romans to us, coming to understand righteousness by faith in a more profound and more robust way. I can still remember the day Dr. Blazin was talking about Romans 4 and tracing on the blackboard the realities of how God made Abraham right with himself. Abraham believed God, and he credited it to him as righteousness. And thinking, how can it be that easy? You place your belief, and God says you're righteous, not because of your action, but because if you, you believed what I said, you believe I will do what I said I would do. 
And as though he was reading my mind, that temptation to think, well, that was Abraham. Dr. Blazin then went down to the last of the chapter and said, notice this verse that says those words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but for us to whom God will credit righteousness. It was a class, an academic endeavor. But something was happening in my soul. And I still remember his line. Every time I read Romans 4, I think of it. Speaking of Abraham and the fact that most of us felt, you know, Abraham's up there and we're down here somewhere. Dr. Blazin said, if it's good enough for the best of us, it's good enough for the rest of us. Gift of instruction. A gift that permeated the lives of the students. There are members of this body who have that gift or gift set. You need to be teaching a Sabbath school class. You need to be involved in some kind of ministry, reaching out, sharing the gospel with those who have not heard it. Gifts of instruction. Gifts of service, gifts of instruction. Thirdly, gifts of wisdom. Gifts of wisdom. And once again, under that heading, we can list a number of the gifts. People who have this gift or gift mix of wisdom are people who have a deep heart for discernment, for discerning not just what's written on the page of Scripture, but being able to apply it to life and discerning how the will of God might play out in our lives. My guess is that most of us at key moments in our lives, when we hit a crossroads or a fork in the road, turn to people that we, we may not have put it into these words at that time, but that we know have these kinds of gifts and have said to them, help me think this through, sort this through. When Anita and I were given the stunning and surprising honor of an invitation to join the team at this church, that's exactly what we did. Besides family, who was central, we talked to three key people with gifts of wisdom. Jerry Davis, Jerry Winslow, Ivan Blazin. Because we craved wisdom. Somebody is there in your life. Somebody's been there in my life for now or three years, it's become very meaningful to me. Through voice, through conversation, through small group, through individual conversations, and through his pen. A scholar, a leadership scholar at Fuller Theological Seminary by the name of Scott Cormode. Scott has interacted with our staff, our team, our leaders, with me. I can tell you that I have sensed within him a depth of spiritual wisdom that has been profoundly meaningful to me just three weeks ago. I was on a Zoom call with him, and we were talking about something else, but then something came up that was really challenging. I just mentioned it in passing. Before we proceeded, he said, wait a minute. Would you be open to a couple of thoughts about that issue? I said, absolutely. And over a few moments, he outlined something, which I said, that's it. That is it. Thank you, God, for the gift 
of wisdom in someone's life. Gifts of wisdom. This body has people who have that gift. Some have taken and have honed it, have trained for it, work in a counseling setting. And if they're bringing that gift and they're training and they're laying it at the foot of the cross and they're saying, please, work divine wisdom through me and these clients and patients I work with, God will work there in transformative ways. Our lists, gifts of service, gifts of instruction, gifts of wisdom. And finally, what I would call gifts of signs, signs. This also has a number of gifts under that heading. And I'll tell you, having spent some time reading about this, people who write books about spiritual gifts or New Testament scholars who write commentaries on the passages, there's quite, quite a bit of division over how these play themselves out in our lives in the here and now. People who are sincere Bible students, honest Christ followers can differ. So we have to ask the question, what about it? Does God still work through the miraculous here and now? Guiding his church, guiding his people, transforming relationships. Does God still work in miraculous ways? Well, however you might answer that question, there is a caution, a needed caution. I want to read it to you. It comes from a pioneer of our denominational faith, Ellen White. Listen to what Ellen White says about that question. God does not generally work miracles to advance his truth. If the farmer neglects to cultivate the soil, God works no miracle to counteract the sure results. He works according to great principles made known to us, and it is our part to mature wise plans and set in operation the means whereby God shall bring about certain results. Those who make no decided effort but simply wait for the Holy Spirit to compel them to action will perish in darkness. You are not to sit still and do nothing in the work of God. God, we're just going to pray. Pray that you'll work miracles. Pray that you'll feed the hungry in San Bernardino. Pray that you'll share your gospel with those who need it around us. Your Holy Spirit will work. And God says, yeah, he will through you. If you're willing, what about it? Are there miracles? Are there gifts like that, gifts of signs? Look at the pastor. She's in her study, at her computer, Bible open, wrestling with that passage. Her sermon's just a few days away, wrestling with that passage. What does it say? What does it mean? Commentaries and prayer and grappling. And then trying to put it into some ordered format, some way. God, what did you say here? What do you want me to say now? And how should I say it? And then standing up to deliver it, palms perspiring, trying to get the words out, dreading what people will say afterwards. And when the sermon's over, there he comes. Beeline for her, crotchety and critical, and she steals herself for she, what she knows is coming. 
He comes up and grabs her hand. She looks at him. Are those tears? And he says, God spoke to me through your words. I heard his voice. Miracles? Shift change time. The nurses are sorting out the assignments, and there's his name. How long is he going to be hospitalized? When are they going to discharge him? I don't want him. Don't give him to me. But there's one nurse that says, I'll take him. Every day that she happens to be, I'll take him. She's made this her prayer project. She takes him that day. And that day, the eruption comes. An explosion followed by a torrent of tears and terrible trauma and tragedy and trial and trouble. It all comes out. And she sits, holds his hand, and listens. Until it extinguishes itself. And then she says, you know, I've been praying for you. And he looks at her. Strange look. And then he says, you know what? I think God is like you. And she says, oh, no, 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 no. No, let, let's keep this straight. You know, dim reflections, cracked mirrors. Let's keep this straight. And he says, no, no. I think God is like you. And do you know that's the last day anyone has to complain about him? Miracles? God is at work. And we'll let him choose how he wants to work. But there are some situations to which I have no other explanation but supernatural. You have those gifts, my beloved congregation. They are present here. That's what Paul tells us. Every one of you. Gifts of service, gifts of instruction, gifts of wisdom, gifts of science. We've been building, third week now, first week, you have a special ability, a spiritual gift. Second week, as you put it to use, we will grow more mature. Third week, because we are filled with a congregation of all kinds of needs and we live in a world filled with a multiplicity of needs, the truth is very simple. In order to meet the varied needs of our congregation, this body, and of the world around us, we need your gifts. This is not a fifth grade classroom. We're not competing to be recognized and to stand out and to be the best. What we are doing is praying, God, mold us together as a body where every gift has a place to work for the good of the body or for the good of the world. Please.
So our take-homes these three weeks have been pray for God to work in you so that you're open to what gift you might have. And then pray for a willingness to put your gift to use. Thirdly, this week, here's the take-home. Pray for God to give you. Pray for God to give me a mindset not reflective of a fifth-grade classroom, but a mindset reflective of the body of Christ where together we work. Together we receive his power. And together, we change our world. God of grace, thank you. It's stunning to think you would give us gifts. But Lord, you have. And you're ready to put them to use. Give us a willingness. Give us, Lord, a desire to work. And give us the mind of Christ that we might work in unison. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Would you reflect on what God has placed in your life as we listen to the postlude? Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at LLUC.org.